0: Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas. Life Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377, back behind where they're building the new Longhorn Townhomes. We hope to be able to meet with you this morning and be able to fellowship with you and pray with you, but if not this morning, maybe sometime in the near future. Once again, Life Point meets for Sunday School at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., inside the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility. Join me this morning, if you will, in Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10, we're continuing our study through the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse 1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel, which I saw, stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets." And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go, and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel, and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it, and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. The book of Revelation is about the great revelation of Jesus Christ when he returns to this world, when he returns to this earth. He judges the living and the dead, and he restores his kingdom on this earth. The book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ returning to this earth and revealing him to the entire world. During the book of Revelation, Christ is revealed to the world in such a way that man must make a decision whether to repent and believe in him or whether to reject him and fight against him. And we see in the book of Revelation that there are men who make either decision, but they, both, but they all make the decision. Some make the decision to repent and believe. Some join the world system and the world's forces and Satan's forces and fight against him. But the fact of the matter is, by the time you get to the book of Revelation, there is no doubt who Jesus Christ is. He has been revealed to the world. In the book of Revelation, We see the glory and the power of the resurrected Christ. We saw that back in Revelation chapter 1, the eyes of fire, the tongue as a sword. He had the bright countenance as the sun. He uh, he was just in a glorified state. We see Christ call us to repentance, and that's what chapters 2 and 3 were about when he wrote to the seven churches of Asia. Those letters were a call to those churches to repent, and by extension, they were a call to us to repent as well. We see Christ call the world to repentance through the, uh, through the opening of the scrolls, the breaking of the seals, the uh, blowing of the trumpets, and then we see as we begin to look at in this current uh, chapter and as we begin to transition here in the book of Revelation, we see the coming judgment. Now in verse 6, the angel says, there should be time no longer. What the angel said in Revelation chapter 10 verse 6, that there should be time no longer, he is saying that the end of time has come that the world is coming to an end, and business as usual, the day-to-day, our daily expectations, the idea that there is still time left to make the right decision, to do the right thing, that we still have plenty of time to get it right, that concept is hereby over. Business as usual has now closed, the books are being opened, and judgment will begin. And from this, from our passage here in Revelation chapter 10, we learn that the end is coming, and we learn what the end means, and so therefore we learn that we should prepare for the end. First of all, let's go back to the concept that the end is coming. We look in Revelation chapter 10, verses five through six. In Revelation chapter 10, verses five and six, the Bible says, and the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer he swore by God who lives forever and ever who created the heaven and the sea and the earth and everything that lives therein that there would be no more time that time would be no more this is a powerful angel his voice prompts the seven thunders to speak and he issues this proclamation by God's authority. And this proclamation is that time is ending. Time is coming to an end, that the things which are will be no more. And Scripture teaches all throughout the Bible, Scripture teaches that time ends. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, that word world comes from a Greek word that means age. He was talking about a time period here. He wasn't talking about the edge of the earth. He was talking about the time period. He says, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world, or even unto the end of the age. Matthew twenty-eight twenty. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Obviously, when you read Matthew twenty-eight twenty, the end of the world is mentioned there, that Jesus would be with us. Until the end of the world, till the world ends. But the context of Matthew twenty-eight twenty is the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, we were told to go ye therefore to make disciples, that is to teach all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and to teach them whatsoever things Christ has commanded us. That's to indoctrinate. That's to teach the Bible. That's to teach people about their salvation and about their beliefs. We were commissioned as Christians, we were commissioned as churches to go out and carry out the gospel to the world and to make disciples of all people and to disciple people and to teach people. That's what we were commissioned to do. That was the commandment that Jesus Christ gave us in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20. And we look at that we say okay go ye therefore teach all nations baptize them and then teach them whatsoever things Christ has commanded us. But when you look at that last sentence in Matthew 28:19 through 20 where Jesus says lo I'm with you always even unto the end of the world or unto the end of the age or as the world ends. What Jesus was telling us there is that there is a time frame. There was a window of time in which we have to work. And what the angel is saying here in Revelation chapter 10 is that that window of time is closing. The time that we have to do the work of the Lord, to be obedient to the Lord, to follow the Lord, to trust the Lord, to do the Lord's will in our lives, the window of time that we only have a window of time to do that in, by the way. There is a time limit. We don't have eternity to get it right. We have a period of time in which we have to live on this earth and do what God wants us to do. And at some point, that window will close. Now, in Revelation chapter 10, the angel said that there would be time no more, which means that the window of time for everybody is closing at the same time. But on an individual level, we only have a window of time to do what God wants us to do with our lives while we're here on this earth. And even if you don't live to see the day that time comes to an end, your time on this earth will one day come to an end. So we need to do what Scripture teaches and redeem the time. The Bible tells that, in the, tells us that in the book of Colossians to redeem the time because the days are evil. What that means is to make the most of the time that you have left because Scripture teaches that our time will end. Either our individual time will end when we close our eyes in death or we'll live to see the day that the Lord ends time and brings about his judgment upon all men. Now, as we do that, we need to remember that when this time comes, that the Lord closes the books, that the Lord closes business as usual, that time comes to an end, we need to remember that everything that we see around us and everything that we have and everything of this world suddenly dissolves. We need to realize that we will recognize at that time, we need to recognize that we will realize the day that everything that we thought was so important will suddenly be shown as temporary as it really was. We look in 2 Peter chapter three, verse 11. 2 Peter chapter three, verse 11 says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Look around you, I had a friend I used to work with back in East Texas at a radio station there, and he said that, um, he used to say look around you and realize that everything you see is only temporary. Look around you and see everything that's around you. Look, Maybe you're in your home this morning. You're listening to this broadcast on your home. Look around your house. And as you look around your house, you'll see some expensive electronics. You'll see some nice furniture. You'll see uh, pictures, family keepsakes. I don't know. Whatever you keep around the house. The car out in the garage. Look around. And realize that all of that stuff that you are looking at is temporary. The only thing in your life that is eternal is yourself and those around you. The day is coming when the things that we once saw as being so important will one day no longer exist. My grandparents lived back in the day that fine China was a big deal that, you know, you have the dishes that you ate on every day, then you have the fine china. The fine china stayed in this special china cabinet. You could look at it through the glass doors on the china cabinet, but we only got it out to use, I think, once, and that was at a special Christmas dinner one year, and then we never used it again. Um, it was very precious. It was very special to them. That fine china is temporary. My grandparents have now gone on to be with the Lord. I can guarantee you that the last thing that they're thinking about right now is that fine China. Things that we once saw as being so important will one day no longer exist. Perhaps you're looking at your career, your work. Maybe there is an enterprise or endeavor you're taking under, and you are trying to accomplish as much as you can. You are trying to uh, make your mark on the world. Believe it or not, most of your accomplishments are temporary. If your accomplishments don't lead to the salvation or the spiritual development of others, those are temporary accomplishments. And many times those accomplishments are forgotten while we're still in this world. Who won the Super Bowl four years ago? I don't know. I mean, I was just asking. Who won the Super Bowl four years ago? The Super Bowl is one of the single biggest sporting events in the entire world. To win the Super Bowl is to reach the pinnacle of success in the sport of football, particularly in the sport of professional football. The world literally shuts down for about three or four hours while the Super Bowl is played. Who won it four years ago? We don't know. We don't remember. We have to look it up. We have to Google this. The biggest accomplishment in professional sports is but a passing memory. The World Cup. Who won the World Cup four years ago? The last World Cup. Who won it? Who won the Women's World Cup a couple of years ago? Biggest sport in the world. Biggest event in the biggest sport in the world. We don't know. Of course, we're Americans. We don't really follow the World Cup. I I, I, I get that. But go around the world and start asking about previous World Cup winners. What would they be able to tell you? Not a whole lot. Because just as our possessions and our things are only temporary our accomplishments are temporary as well. 2 Peter three eleven says, seeing that these things should be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? You see, the things that we once saw as being so important will one day no longer exist, and time will end. And so 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, asks the question, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness. So seeing that everything around you is only temporary, seeing that your possessions are temporary, your bank account is temporary, your accomplishments are temporary, seeing that all these things are only temporary, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? What Peter is asking is, seeing that everything around you is temporary, how should that change your perspective on life? And how should that change your behavior? How should we be living? What should our lifestyles be like knowing that time will come to a close and the things of this world will be burned up and all we are left with are the things that we did that were of eternal significance? How does that change your decision making? How does that change your day-to-day life? The end is coming. The day is coming when time will be no more. How are you preparing for that day? Now, as we look here in Revelation chapter 10, and the angel says that time should be no more, that the end is coming, we know that when the end comes, so does judgment. The context of Revelation chapter 10 is that it takes place between the sixth and seventh trumpets. Now, we studied the trumpets last week. The first six trumpets warned of the coming judgment of God and called men to repent. And what we see at the end of Revelation chapter 9 is that they didn't repent. Chapter 9, verses 20 and 21 tell us, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. The people in the book of Revelation that saw the first six trumpets, that saw and heard the Lord's call to repentance and his warning of the coming judgment, they didn't repent of their idolatry, of their worship of demonic spirits, of their idols of materialism. They also didn't repent to their murders. It was still a violent society. There was still a lot of hate in that society. They didn't repent to their sorceries. Now you hear the word sorceries and you think of Mickey Mouse in the video the sorcerer's apprentice where he programmed the broom to carry the water for him and then you know the broom somehow reproduced. I think he got an axe to try to stop it and he chopped it up which created a whole bunch of other brooms which cr- brought more water which created a flood and you think of Mickey Mouse with that little Sorcerers had on, but when the Bible says the word sorceries that they repented not of their sorceries, the Greek word that sorceries was, trans, was translated from is a Greek word pharmacia, and pharmacia is the word that we get our modern day word pharmacy from. The sorceries that they didn't repent from was drug abuse. And so this is another area where the Bible teaches us against drug abuse and against using substances in order to obtain a euphoria. This is where the Bible teaches us against getting high. The people in the book of Revelation, they were getting high, they were using drugs, and even with everything going on around them, they didn't quit. They repented not of their fornication, that's sexual immorality, and they repented not of their thefts, they, they were still thieves. And so the people of that day did not repent. And so what happens is that the seventh trump will be sounded and the seventh trumpet will bring God's judgment. Between the sixth and seventh trump here in chapter 10, we're told about this little book. Now books keep records. And it's by the record that we are judged. You see, when we are judged, the book, when you are judged, when I am judged, this will be down on an individual level, when we're judged, Our book will be opened and our record will be shown. Our sin will be shown. Our sin will be discussed. And not only our sin and our overt acts of sin, but the things that we did that may have seemed good to everybody else, but underneath we had sinful intentions and we had sinful desires. But the record will also show that day whether or not that sin has been covered by the blood of Christ, whether or not you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The record will also show, show that. And that's how you'll be judged. In Revelation chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter. But it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was made bitter. Now, that bitterness of his belly, the bitterness of his stomach, that's being upset at the stomach. You can probably figure that out on your own without me telling you that. But he eats this book, and as he's eating it, it's really sweet to the taste, but then he gets sick to his stomach. Have you ever done that? Have you ever eaten something that was very delicious that you enjoyed that ultimately made you sick at your stomach? Have you ever overindulged in ice cream? And this is some really good ice cream. I've got to have some more of this ice cream. And then after you ate all the ice cream, your belly was like, hey, that's too much ice cream, man. And you start to feel a little, a little sick. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, maybe you overdid it on, on Mexican food or Chinese food or or, or, or whatever. You You've probably experienced this. And so we have the book, the book symbolizes judgment, the book symbolizes God's plan and his will being unrolled, and John is told to eat the book, and as he eats the book, it's going to be sweet to the taste, but it's going to make his belly bitter. Now the bitterness comes from the sin committed by mankind, comes from his own sin. The bitterness comes from sin and the destruction brought on by sin. The bitterness comes from knowing what the judgment of God brings and the destruction that will come by the judgment of God, which is brought on by sin. Have you ever seen an ordeal that should have never happened? Have you ever seen something happen, some horrible event happen, and it just shouldn't have happened? Like, if all those involved in this situation would have just made the right choice at some point along the way none of this would have happened. If this man would have just stopped at the stop sign, if he would have just stopped at the stop light, if he would have put the gun away, if he would have not done drugs for 10 years of his life, If he would have actually gotten up off the sofa one day of his life and went out and got a job. I mean, have you ever seen something happen that made you so sick to your stomach? And one of the things that really aggravated you about that situation is that it didn't have to happen. It wasn't an unforeseen event. It was something that everybody could see was going to happen, but those involved just wouldn't make the right decision. And so you're sick at your stomach seeing the resulting destruction and the resulting consequences that fall out from that that's what john is feeling here as he eats this book that symbolizes the coming judgment of god it's sweet to the taste the sweetness is coming from the fact that he knows that he's going to be delivered. The sweetness comes in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The sweetness comes in that he knows that for him and for his friends who were also apostles and for his followers at the church at Ephesus and for those who were close to him that he knew and he loved and he fellowshiped with, the sweetness was in knowing that they all knew Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, so that they would be rescued from the judgment of sin, that they would be spared God's wrath and judgment, that they would be delivered. That's the sweetness. But the bitterness came in sawing the destruction that would happen as a result of man's sin, that he would know people who would be condemned to an eternity in hell by God because they rejected Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. To watch the world around him, a world that he grew up in, a a world that maybe saying that he loved it doesn't quite describe the situation but the world that he knew being destroyed that was bitterness think about how the Apostle John must have felt the day the temple was destroyed how would you feel as corrupt and as evil as Washington DC can be how would you feel if that town were suddenly bombed into smithereens I'm not making a threat I'm asking a rhetorical question how would you feel if we were at war against a foreign power and they invaded and took control of Washington DC and New York City and they destroyed the monuments that remind us of our great history and heritage of freedom and liberty how would you how would that make you feel it it would be it would be bitter it would be a bitter pill to swallow i mean how would you feel if just you know you see the destruction of your world that's bitterness the sweetness is that all of this is temporary anyway, and the Lord's going to deliver us and welcome, him, welcome us into his kingdom. The bitterness is in seeing the destruction that goes along with God's judgment. And that's what John was dealing with. The thing about it is that the bitterness doesn't have to be what defines your spiritual life, your walk, and your future. The sweetness can you turn from your sins and you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and whatever bitterness you experience in this world will only be temporary. The sweetness of the kingdom of God will be what's eternal. And so with all of this in mind, we are told that we must prepare. And we must prepare ourselves spiritually By turning from our, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, turn from your sin today, and ask Jesus to save you. Make that decision, make that commitment, and after you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, follow Him in baptism. Go find a scriptural church. Uh, When I say that, I'm Baptist, so I believe that Baptist churches are scriptural. Um, I know that there are scriptural churches that don't have Baptist on the side, and I recognize that, and I respect that. But go find a church that teaches the Bible, that teaches scripture, and go to them for baptism. And baptism is to be done scripturally. You are to be immersed, placed under the water as a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which means we'll bring you back out of the water as well. And then join that church and follow the Lord. Learn of him through the study of the scriptures. It's how you prepare. Teach your family as well. The Apostle John had done all this. The Apostle John was a believer in Christ. The Apostle John was an apostle of Christ. In verse 11, the angel said to John, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. The Apostle John has just been shown the coming judgment of God, and now he's being told to prophesy. He must warn the world of the coming judgment and he must tell the world about the deliverance from the judgment through Jesus Christ. He had seen what he thought was the worst of it and really revelation is still just getting started. John saw what he thought was going to be the worst of it and he's told that he still has to go forth and prophesy to be a prophet. He's got to carry the word forth to the entire world and John prophesied before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings he did so in person but he also did so in the writing of this book the book of Revelation has been circulated throughout the entire world as part of the Bible now like the apostle John was to prepare the people for the return of Christ and like John the Baptist was to prepare the people to meet Christ at his first coming we are to prepare people for the coming of the Lord We are to spread the gospel. We are to preach salvation through Jesus Christ to the entire world. And we are to disciple people. And that word disciple means to come alongside somebody and mentor them, guide them, help them. We're to spread the gospel, we're to mentor people, we're to disciple people, and we are to keep our own hearts turned toward the Lord in the process. And in order to do all of this, we have to reorder our priorities we need to be prepared. If Jesus Christ were to return today, would you be prepared to meet him? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior? And if you do, if you have been saved, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, if you have turned from your sins and you have trusted him to receive you into heaven, then are you living out your salvation? Are you living your life as a saved person? If Christ were to return today, Would you be ashamed of where he found you today, or would you be glad to see him? Would you be afraid of what he would find you doing today, or would you be happy that your time on this earth is finally over and you could enter into his kingdom? Where are you today? Are you living your life as a saved person? If not, it's time to reorder those priorities. Look to the sky Because your redemption draws nigh. Our time on this earth is quickly coming to a close. We need to reorder our priorities and be prepared. If you're looking for a good Bible-believing church to be a part of as we prepare for that day, LifePoint Baptist Church meets at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, 104 East Industrial Drive in Early, That's just off of Highway 377 behind where they're building the new Longhorn Townhomes. We hope to be able to meet with you this morning. We also have some online resources for you. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash point2life. You can also uh, follow us on WordPress, .wordpress point2life.wordpress.com. I hope you have a blessed Sunday today. Be praying for you, that God blesses you, that God keeps you, and that God guides you. Take care.